This is the Resilient Disciples Podcast, powered by Awana. I'm Ross. Thank you for listening. Today, we're going to be having a conversation around a topic that, in my personal opinion, might be the most important conversation for the church to be having that, frankly, most churches aren't. We're going to be talking about mental health, and specifically, we're going to be talking about preteen mental health and how that relates to child discipleship. To help us do that, I'm joined by Paula Mazza. Paula is the director of Children's and Preteen Ministries at Solana Beach Presbyterian Church in California, and she has been in the world of preteen ministries for over 30 years. I really appreciate Paula's work. You can check out the show notes for more information about her and for resources based off of today's episode. Before we start, I have two important qualifications. One, this podcast is about 30 minutes long, so we, of course, only scratch the surface on all the nuance around this topic. Also, just to acknowledge, my audio goes in and out during this episode. Sorry about that, but the good news is that you can still hear Paula clearly, and she starts this episode with her perspective on the broader conversation around mental health and the need to specify resources to preteens. Thank you for listening. This is the Resilient Disciples Podcast. You'll hear, um, there's certainly plenty of resources out there for child mental health, mm-hmm. and there's certainly resources out there for adolescent mental health, but you don't see a whole lot in terms of preteen mental health and just the nature, recognizing the formative nature of that window there. Mm-hmm. I mean, even, even the fact that when I went to build my website, the domain preteenmentalhealth.com should have been long gone. (laughs) So just the fact that that domain was available. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is the perfect anecdote to explain where we're at as a society for this conversation. So I want to make sure that for people who are joining us who aren't necessarily parenting or grandparenting or involved in the life of a child that is a preteen, that they understand what the true definition of preteen is. I think there's some variation depending on where you look. So how do you define preteen? Yeah, I um, what I say preteens, I'm usually talking about fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. So kind of the nine to 12 range, literally pre-teenager. Mm-hmm. I know that um, in general, like I oftentimes when you look on the CDC or, um, or you know, other government websites, it'll bring it all the way down to nine, all the way up to 14. Some people hear pre, uh, preteens and think junior high, uh, yeah. which I think is a misnomer, <laughs> but mm-hmm. it's, I'm literally looking at those years just before kids become teenagers. And it yeah. really, what it is, is if you think of the, um, if you think of adolescence as the bridge between childhood and adulthood, mm-hmm. the preteen years are that on-ramp to that bridge. Yeah. And I think it's important for the conversation we have each and every week on this podcast. We talk about child discipleship in this exact age group. Yes, this is a very specific conversation related to mental health. But if you look at something like the 4 to 14 window, essentially what we say at Awana is that if you wait until age 14 to start being intentional about your discipleship, you're probably too late. And similarly, the earlier the better for these conversations around mental health. 
You shared with me last time we spoke some statistics that I think that I think speak to this. Can you share that with our listeners? Yeah, well, it's it's ha- half of all um, all lifetime cases of any sort of mental health diagnosis uh, start showing symptoms before the age of fourteen. But even more than that, three quarters of those start showing symptoms before the age of twenty four. Mm. So you know, like. <laughs> That's, that's no, pretty significant. Totally. Also, that makes me think about how long it takes to address any kind of mental health challenges for anyone, because you can't see it the same way you can see a physical challenge. You know, for me, I was essentially just struggling with my day to day life and was telling myself, oh, it'll feel better tomorrow. It'll feel better tomorrow. And I wasn't doing anything to actually help it feel better tomorrow. And a month goes by and I hadn't felt better yet. I, and I realized I needed more help. Um, look, I highly encourage folks who are listening to check out preteenmentalhealth.com, which is linked in the show notes, because I think you, Paula, provide a lot of ways to start this conversation for folks with the kids in their community. One of the central tensions I see here is the relationship between kids and adults in the church. We would call them loving, caring adults and the adults in that child's home. If someone who's listening to this who is, let's say, a small group leader, they're probably seeing a kid for maybe an hour a week, but even in that one hour, they may be seeing certain challenges that aren't being addressed in the home. Two questions here are, why aren't they being addressed in the home? And what should the small group leader be thinking about prior to starting a conversation with any parents in their community? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think one of the reasons for this delay in treatment, especially for younger kids and especially for preteens and adolescents, is that some of the signs and symptoms are the same as what you would see in puberty. Anyhow, um, when you start seeing those hormone changes and you start seeing um, kids kind of changing their behavior and doing things differently, it's hard. It all seems foreign to a parent. And I know I've lived this, it all seems different. And so you're not, you, there's no reason to ask is, is there, is this time to ask even more questions because mm-hmm. it's all part of this change that we see in adolescence anyhow. And yeah. so, yeah, sorry to interrupt. I just feel like I've yet to meet anyone who goes, yep, totally nailed the preteen phase as a parent or as a child. Yeah. yeah. No, the number one comment I get from parents is what happened to my kid? <laughs> Where did my kid yeah. go? But back to my question originally, if someone's listening to this and they want to take a first step in starting a conversation with a parent related to a kid in their ministry, what should they be thinking about? What is the first thing that they should be keeping in mind? Yeah. I Well, first of all, get to know the kid. Don't be, you know, don't be so quick to wonder if there's a diagnosis there. Just, just really get to know who the kid is because it could just be part of their personality. And, and let's face it, preteens are weird. We're just quirky. <laughs> <laughs> you, you like how I lump myself in there? Of yeah. <laughs> we're just, we're just, we're just weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I would say before jumping into that kind of conversation with the parents, I would say also just get to know the parents. This conversation can't, it's, um, it's less effective if it doesn't come from a place of relationship. Yeah. 
you know, so really getting to doing your best to get to know the kid, who this kid is and getting to know their parents, if possible. And I recognize that's not always possible. I know a lot of churches have kids bust in where they never see the parents. And that's that adds its own layer of trickiness. But anytime Mm -hmm. that you can address the family as a whole. And, and kind of even just think of the family as a whole, as opposed to this individual kid, uh, I think would be a gift to the family because everybody grows up in some sort of system, right? So to, 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 to treat, to, to focus your attention on an individual who may be symptomatic of mm-hmm. something that's going on in a greater system um, could sometimes even do more damage than good. So um, kind of yeah, thinking keep- of the family as a whole and then figuring out ways to um, get to know the family more is, is really a, a, a first step that I would, I would recommend. Yeah. So what I hear in that is really encouraging because everyone who is listening knows how to do that. You're saying to start with relationship, to lean in like the person who is listening to this leans into every other area of discipleship of the kids in their community there's so much opportunity for shame. There's so much complexity in this conversation, but if you lean into relationships, some of the layers and guilt around this topic, I think begin to go away. Exactly. Because I'll tell you that the conversation could end in a parent walking away, feeling shame. hmm. And if, and if, and if a parent is already getting a lot, hearing a lot of voices from a lot of different places about their child's behavior or things that they're noticing that can be pretty bombarding and so part of our conversation has to be how is the church different from the other voices that they're hearing the other voices that are speaking into their lives and um hopefully one of the good ways (laughs) that the church is different is that there's lots of grace and it's all all always relation relationship based you must be a podcast host because that's exactly where i want to take the conversation next So let's talk about the church at large. The church is supposed to be a place of grace, as it often is. It is supposed to be a place where you can come as you are, where that is often true. But we know, and I mean this in as non-judgmental of a way as possible, we know that the church at large, this is a topic that the church has not led historically. There's a bunch of reasons for that, but what I want to focus on is how this generation of kids is growing up in an entirely different set of circumstances than we did, and they are far more aware of their own mental health than any previous generation. Therefore, we have an opportunity to lean into their comfort around this conversation, even if we ourselves don't feel comfortable. Can you speak to how this group of preteens, this specific generation, are viewing themselves in all of this? Yeah. Well, let me let me share some statistics with you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that just broke my heart. Um, I actually carry this as a as a pretty heavy burden. But in October of 2019, the Center for Disease Control came out with a um, study on um, mortality, and I th- and I think it's a pretty regular. They kind of give updates and on on this. But um, one of the this one was specific on suicide suicide rates, and what the study at that point had shown that suicide rates among kids, and I believe the ages were 10 to 14, between the years 2000 and 2007 were on the decline. They were going down, which is great news, right? 
However, the decade that followed, so that's the years between 2007 and 2017, painted a very, very different picture. And not only have suicide rates, again, this is among basically preteens, mm-hmm. youth, um, not only have those rates increased, but they tripled. And the rate at, yes, and the rate at which they were increasing at the time you know, that they finished that study, it was still increasing. Mm. And so you got you have to kind of think about, okay, let's look at those years, 2007, 2008, what was going on there that um was seems to be a bit of a trajectory changer Mm -hmm. what do you think ross (laughs) the world fell apart i mean that's just one economic example the crash of 2007 2008 but i don't think anyone i know i've already made this joke but i don't think anyone looks at 2007 2008 and goes those were the best years of my life no matter what your circumstances were. Absolutely. And think about what did, um, you know, I don't know when you started using social media or when you started, you know, when the world oh, opened up to you on your, on the palm yeah, of your hand. 2007. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But it's right around those years. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you, I recently listened to a podcast and I wish I could quote which one it was, but I listen, these are not my words, but I listened to a podcast that was talking about the significance of the like button. Uh, And, and, and you think of the nature of preteens, preteens are all about discovering who they are, what they believe and where they belong. Like those are the three main questions. And, and one of the primary differences between a child and a preteen is that a child is, is looking to their families and their parents and the stories that they read for that kind of information. Preteens make a big shift from family to friends and peer groups. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, it's, it's more about, well, who, who do you think I am? Who do you say I am? And they're looking at their friends or they're looking at the world for that information. And when the world is curated in all sorts of different directions on this little screen, mm-hmm. <laughs> they're getting a lot of information about um, who others are saying that they are or want them to be and it's not accurate and there's a lot of lies tucked in there that these preteens don't have um don't developmentally aren't ready to process yet yeah there's obviously more intense examples of what you're talking about things like cyberbullying and direct really heinous attacks and things like that but there's also content that our kids are being inundated that all has a particular viewpoint kids are being discipled by what is coming through their phones in ways that we as adults may not even be aware of oh there is a full-on secular church (laughs) out there that is just discipling our kids um in a in a certain direction and and telling them this is who you are. This is a, and if you're not sure who you are, you better make a decision quick because you need to proclaim, you know, you need to make a stand about who you are. And it's, it's, it's really the preteen years and all through adolescence. And I would even say young adulthood is all about trying on different personalities and exploring and, and with curiosity and, and learning about the things that, that make you come alive or that are interesting to you. And then learning how to lean into that. And I feel like 
there in, in many ways that has kind of been thrown out the window. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Advent is marked by the hope of a fulfilled promise and yet the waiting of what is to come. It is a time for us to remember all that God has done and faithfully cling to the promise of what he will do. The Promise of a Savior is a free resource designed to equip you, parents, grandparents, and guardians, to lead intentional time and conversation around the promise of our Savior, Jesus Christ. While this resource has been designed as a five-week devotional, each discipleship opportunity is distinct and stands on its own. Visit awana.org to receive this resource and join us today as we celebrate the advent of Jesus Christ, the promised Savior, together. Kids now are have so much information at their fingertips at such a young age that they are developmentally not able to process. And and it's actually a heavy, heavy burden. To me, it feels like trauma. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I am not technology avoidant. I, I'm, I am very much in the world. My family's in the world. My, you know, my daughter was interested in watching a show that I didn't want her to watch, but I knew she was going to watch it, whether I said yes or no. So instead of <laughs> saying no, I just said, okay, well then let's watch it together <laughs> and we'll Good. have conversations about it. You know, so, so I just want your listeners to know, I'm not saying social media is bad or, you know, any of that. I, I just want the listeners to understand that it's not nothing. Yeah, that's great. I think that comes back to a more direct conversation around mental health. Um, there's a quote by John Tyson, who's a pastor out of New York that I like a lot. And he says that you can be sad that your kids are on their phones, but they're going to be on their phones, which means that we as adults have to ask the question, how do we get Jesus on their phones? How do we make sure that what they are receiving from those little electronic boxes is actually life-giving and there are practical things to do that like watching the tv show with your daughter that and i would argue that to go back to our conversation around systems the system of the church is one of the only places left where a preteen can be a preteen as developmentally as we've understood that historically the church is a place where preteens can try on different identities where they can be appropriately angsty and they can do that because in the church they are receiving the gospel messages like your sins were paid for on the cross and that is in contrast to messages from outside the church which might sound appealing to a teen like you do you find your truth etc but certainly fall short of the all-sufficient nature of the gospel message you know odds are anyone who is still listening is doing so because they have some sort of personal connection to mental health. But I don't think we as a culture have done a very good job defining what we mean when we say mental health. There's a spectrum around physical health from life-saving surgery to the cold that I had when you and I first spoke. That nuance doesn't currently exist in the conversation around mental health, does it? No, absolutely. I mean, people, you know, if you, if you break your ankle, if you break your leg, you're not going to kind of watch it for a month and <laughs> say, right. you know, you know, my bone's sticking out of my skin, but I, I'm sure it'll be fine. And I don't mm-hmm. know. I mean, everyone else seems to be walking 
okay. So I'm sure right, I'll right, get right. there. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to the doctor, you go, you ask them questions, you figure out what's going on, and then you see what the best path to healing is. And um, and this, but we don't apply that same truth to our mental health. And I'll tell you, part of the when I talk about preteen mental health, a big piece of that is us the ones who are creating the systems around these kids, they're creating the environments they're growing up in. A big piece of that is us minding our own mental health, minding our own stuff and not being afraid to do that, not being afraid to talk about it, to say, yeah, you know what? I'm not okay. In fact, earlier this week, I was having a hard time. I was feeling very melancholy. That's just where I was at this week. Um, And it's okay. Feelings are not good or bad. They just are. It's, you know, (laughs) they just are. Well, that's an important qualification, I think, too, because there's a huge gap between, let's say, the oldest generations and the youngest generations in pretty much everything when it comes to mental health, including empathy. You know, this came up the last time I had Mark Matlock on the podcast, but he spoke about the importance for the older generation to recognize that the younger generation's perspective and ability to have a conversation and how much they value mental health, that all of that is actually a blessing. It is more life to the full. And I said then and believe now that it is equally incumbent on the younger generation to recognize that they have a privilege, a blessing that the pull yourself up by your bootstraps generation to make up a term didn't have. This is the first time culturally that any of us have been able to talk about any of this. Right. Well, and especially coming out of this season of quarantine and and this, you know, this whole season where, you know, we all have little mice crawling around that we can, you know, (laughs) kind of push off of our shoulder and think, you know, get out of here. I'm not paying attention to you right now, or, you know, I don't have time for you or, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever. But during quarantine, we we became um, so acutely aware of our, um, of our, being out of relationship with ourselves that all these little mice became these great big elephants in yeah. our in the room that we you have to you have to address you can't you can't ignore them anymore yeah. and i think um, that is such a shared experience across the board that um it puts us in a very unique position at this point in time where i think i think we're a little more willing to talk about this even though we're not all coming to the conversation from the same place. It's kind of this, this middle ground. It's like this opportunity right now to say, okay, yeah, this is what I've been experiencing. What have you been experiencing? Yeah. Okay. Well, and you've spoken about this plenty, but the ability to be open with a kid about where you're at is such an invitation for them to meet you there And that can be such a life-giving experience to both you and the child. Mm -hmm. And modeling that for parents, too. Because then when parents see that even even the church is talking about this, that helps them. That's a clue. You know, that's Mm -hmm. a cue to say, oh, yes, okay, I guess I can we can talk about we can talk about this, too. I mean, we we work really hard to make sure our even our curriculum shows a wide um, breadth of emotions, ups and downs, okay. and that we don't just brush over them, but we sit in them. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more that we share our story, the more we are invited into other people's stories. And I think that's really significant. This last Tuesday, I had the opportunity to um, 
invite my church congregation to come into the church, into the sanctuary and hear me tell my story. And I have all sorts of <laughs> nuggets to share about my own sure. personal journey with mental health and my family. Everybody in my family is touched by um, anxiety or depression or both. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so um, standing it, to me, it was really important to stand up on the chancel Mm -hmm. Under the, you know, the stage, under the, under the cross, you can tell I'm Presbyterian, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, on the, not the transept, but yeah, no. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't going to point it out, but yeah, thank you for that. That was, that was wonderful. Um, yeah. But to stand under the cross and say, you know, so often we feel like we have to pull it together to go to church. And I think families feel that too. So families are particularly vulnerable to feeling like they have to pull it together as a family in order to go to church. And that's, I mean, the church has to be and is by design the place where we go to be held together, not to not to pull it together and then enter into. And so, and that is true for our mental health. That's not just true for, you know, the whatever cyclone we're in that morning, but yeah. the it's true for just our, just wherever we're at. I think that the key there is where I would say, at least, the church's position should be compared to where the church's position on this has been historically. But it comes back to something we've said many, many times on this podcast, which is the work of making a child or family feel like they belong, which is the term we would use around here. That is the most critical work for any child's discipleship. Whether a kid is living with mild anxiety to suicidal ideations or anywhere on that spectrum, you meeting that kid where they are at, knowing their family, knowing where they're coming from, taking the time to share your own story so that they don't feel so isolated in a world that seems increasingly keen on isolating them. All of that will do a lot of the work. Then it's on us to trust the Lord to complete that good work. Before we go, I want to ask, how is all of this connected to our physical health? Why does this matter for our whole bodies? Well, you think about that. I mean, God asks us, he just wants us, right? God wants us. He wants us as we are, our whole beings. And as he wants us to love him with our, you know, spirit. So like we, we, we get to offer our complete whole selves to him. And again, I, I st struggle with generalized anxiety disorder and I have ADHD, which by the way, I'm turning 50 next month. I didn't discover that. And I didn't, mm. you know, have a, have a name for that until just in this last year. Whereas all this oh, time yeah. I thought I was just weird and quirky and I had all these things about me that made me unlikable and, you know, whatever. I just, that's just how, what I have to live with. And I was like, oh, oh, there's a reason for all these, all these patterns and stuff. And <laughs> now I, you know, yeah. it's like, oh, okay. So, so it's, I could look at that and think, um, well, yeah, I'm a gift to the world. You know, like I got a guy, I believe, I know that God loves me, but, but I also have these warts over here and I have these things that, you know, aren't really part of the gift. They're just there. Um, mm. But that's not true. That's a lie. The truth is these are all parts of me and I am a gift and I am fully and completely loved by God. And, and the way that I see discipleship, it's, it's, I really see it as, um, you know, you're, we're growing, growing in relationship with God and, and learning how to be loved by him, learning how to then out of that love, love others. 
and learning how to steward our minds, our bodies, our soul, our, our you know, our, our complete bodies, all of it. And when I think we're really good as a church talking about what's going on in our soul, but we neglect to talk about even our physical bodies often mm-hmm. what's going mm-hmm. on with our physical bodies and what's going on um, emotionally, mentally, what's going on there. And, and how does that affect what's going on in our soul. It's a, it's a whole picture. It's not just this, this goes here and then this goes out into the community or that the, at the therapist over here, and this comes to church and this goes to the gym, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's all, it's all part of our discipleship and being a steward of this life that God has given us and the call that he has put on our heads to, to, um, to, walk with him in this life and to be infinitely loved. I mean, that's step one. I, you know, people will ask me, well, how do I, how do I connect with our kids? And how do I, how do I enter into these conversations about mental health? Well, the very first thing you do (laughs) that is required is to examine where you're at and know that wherever you're at, you are absolutely 100% completely loved. And you're not loved because God doesn't see all of you. So he doesn't see this part. So, you know, that's why you're loved. He sees you completely. He knows you completely and he loves you completely and, and has a call for you. Amen. And that is true for our kids. (laughs) It's not just true for us, but we can't, we, we, it's hard for us to really um, extend that to our kids when we're not so sure ourselves, my youngest daughter is bipolar and a lot of people could look at her and, and say, Oh, you know, that's just part of her brokenness. And I don't see that as broken. I see that as a unique wiring that she has that um, my job as a parent is not to try to change her, but trying to help her embrace that unique wiring, learn the skills that she needs to do to fully lean into that and um, discover who God has created her to be so that she can come into agreement with that and live fully in that space of who God has created her to be. I tried to do that for myself. The Resilient Disciples Podcast is powered by Awana. Thanks to the donations of generous folks like you, Awana partners with 62,000 churches in 130 countries to make resilient disciples. When you give to Awana, you are investing in lasting faith, young people who will engage the culture with the gospel and fearlessly lead the church into the future. To make a donation to this mission, go to awana.org slash lasting faith today. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and check out the show notes of today's episode for relevant links from this conversation. The podcast is mixed, edited, produced, and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Our theme song is Fresh Air by Christian hip hop artist Josiah Williams and hits by Jude. You also heard I'll Let Go provided by Josiah Williams from his album, Rerouting 2. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Mm